Welcome to Eye on the Triangle with Sesha Hindi, a weekly glimpse into our community, bringing you news from the brickyard to your backyard. From WKNC News in Raleigh, I'm John Boyer, the top story at the seventh hour. North Carolina is making national headlines for yesterday's tornado outbreak that brought damage to several cities. Locally, the National Weather Service confirmed that an EF1 tornado touched down shortly before midnight in southeastern Person County. The tornado stayed on the ground for four miles with maximum winds around 100 miles per hour. Though no one was hurt, numerous trees are down and several modular homes sustained damage. It was Person County's first tornado since 2005. The same storm system that brought the tornadoes weakened and stalled overnight, dumping inches of rain throughout the Piedmont and swelling local creeks. Earlier this morning, two students from West Johnston High School died when their vehicle ran off a flooded road and overturned in a nearby creek, according to the State Highway Patrol. The accident took place in a rural area of Johnston County near Cleveland. Meteorologists advised that motorists should simply turn around when they encounter a flooded roadway. Merely inches of water are enough to carry away a standard vehicle. Elsewhere in the state, the National Weather Service just released a preliminary report on the major tornado that struck Guilford County around 7.30 last night. It's classified as an EF3, with winds up to 138 miles per hour, making it the strongest ever recorded tornado in Guilford County. The storm injured three as it tracked just west of High Point. Around 200 homes sustained damage. Reports of several other damaging tornadoes extend from the south side of Virginia down I-85 through Davidson County. A brief touchdown occurred on the western side of Charlotte, and reports of damaging wind and hail stretched throughout South Carolina and Georgia. These storms occurred 26 years to the day of a major tornado outbreak across the Carolinas in 1984 that killed 57 and injured 800. In world news, the BBC is following a developing situation in Moscow where two suicide bombings in crowded subway stations have left 38 dead and more than 60 wounded. The first explosion came at 7.56 a.m. local time, followed by another at 8.38 a.m. in a station six stops away. No group has stepped forward to claim responsibility, but in the past, similar attacks have been carried out by Islamist separatists based in the North Caucasus. Russian Prime Minister Vladimir Putin has sworn to find those responsible and in a comment this morning said, quote, terrorists will be destroyed. President Obama made a surprise six-hour visit to Afghanistan on Sunday. During his short time on the ground, Obama met with Afghan President Hamid Karzai and congratulated him on the recent successes of the military campaign against the Taliban in al-Qaeda. The president also pressed Karzai to fight corruption and to continue making progress. Obama ended his visit with a speech to troops at Bagram Air Force Base and thanked them for their sacrifices. The U.S. Justice Department has indicted nine members of a Michigan-based Christian militia on weapons charges and sedition, according to the New York Times. The nine people are accused of plotting to murder an unidentified law enforcement officer and conspiring to bomb his funeral procession using an improvised explosive device. Their group is a known anti-government extremist organization that encourages violence against law enforcement officers in order to bring about the, quote, end times. Officials made eight of the arrests over the weekend. One person remains at large. A Washington, D.C.-based Internet publication called The Daily Caller ran a story today detailing some less-than-thrifty spending habits of Republican National Committee officials. Party chairman Michael Steele has reportedly request the, requested the purchase of a jet for his personal use. 
Federal filings show that the RNC spent $17,514 on private air travel in the month of February alone, coupled with another 12691 on limousines. Also in February, the RNC paid $9,099 for hotel stays during a Republican event in Beverly Hills, California, along with another 6596 at a nearby Four Seasons. Further detailed in the committee's FEC filings is a party consultant's visit to Voyeur West Hollywood, a bondage-themed nightclub where the GOP paid a tab of close to $2,000. RNC officials are reportedly investigating these expenditures. Two new rankings out this week paint very different pictures of the triangle. The U.S. Census released population estimates for all 366 U.S. metro areas as of July 1, 2009. The numbers, which are not related to the ongoing 2010 census, have the raleigh Cary Metropolitan Statistical Area ranked at number 49, with a population of 1.125 million. At number 49, we're just behind Salt Lake City and just ahead of Buffalo, New York. The Durham-Chapel Hill MSA is just outside the top 100 at number 102. If raleigh Cary and Durham and Chapel Hill were counted as one area, the triangle would leap to the number 37 spot nationwide with 1.6 million in population. That's roughly the same size as Austin, Norfolk, and Nashville, and not far behind Charlotte. Anything that gets us an NFL team. Meanwhile, the good folks at popcrunch.com have released their survey of the hottest student bodies nationwide. Literally. The Wolfpack did what it couldn't do on the gridiron or hardwood. We ranked nationally at number 29. But don't think that the radio face of yours truly was weighing us down. The misogynistic poll only considered the looks and purported ease of the fairer sex. In traffic, while Trevor the Traffic Monkey is off this week in court-mandated remedial helicopter piloting class, we've got interesting news for Triangle drivers. The inner outer belt line designation on I-440 has confused out-of-towners and even some locals for years now. The NNO reports that NCDOT is finally done changing all the signs to a system that they hope will be a little clearer. Areas from exit 289 along Cary and the south side of Raleigh to US-64 and exit 301 will simply be east-west I-40. I-440, of course, goes from crossroads to Crabtree around the north side and back down to US-64 as always. The only difference is that there is now an east-west designation for that road, too. Gone are the inner-outer labels that overlapped both 40 and 440. Also changing, North Hills and streets at South Point will become South Hills and North Point, respectively. Inner Western Boulevard will connect to 66 Road, 10 Forks Road, and Buck Sausage Boulevard via an underground tunnel. In weather, we'll say goodbye to the few thunder showers remaining in the region and say hello to some truly summer-like weather by the weekend. For tonight, there's a diminishing chance for isolated showers. Your wake-up temperature is in the lower 40s. Tomorrow will be mostly cloudy and breezy. With Tomorrow will be mostly sunny and breezy. Winds could gust past 30 miles per hour at times. The high will be right around average in the mid-60s. Wednesday sees the sun come out in full force, and with southerly winds, temperatures will climb into the lower 70s. For Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, the forecast is pretty much a carbon copy day after day. Sunny, highs in the lower to mid-80s. It's possible that some areas could approach the 90-degree mark later this week. Perfect weather heading into the first part of the Easter weekend. On this day in 1886, Dr. John Pemberton brewed the first batch of Coca-Cola in Atlanta, Georgia. And in 1973, the last United States combat soldiers left South Vietnam. Birthday shout-outs go to... 
Born on this day in 1918, Sam Walton, the late founder of Walmart. 1961, Amy Sedaris, the Raleighite comedian behind Strangers with Candy. And in 1971, Robert Gibbs, the White House press secretary. If you are still looking for something to do tonight, head down to Chile, where today is Day of the Young Combatant, which is traditionally marked by civil disorder by leftists and anarchists, like Evan here. Keep it here on 88.1 WKNC as Eye on the Triangle rolls on. From the sidelines on Eye on the Triangle. Your weekly update on athletic events. You're listening to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC 88.1. I'm here with Tyler Everett for our weekly sports update. Tyler, can you tell us a little bit about baseball? How did they do against Miami? Um, they had a huge night Saturday night. Uh, that was the only win of the series. They took one of three from the number 15 ranked Hurricanes, one of the better teams in the conference. State's playing in the ACC, obviously, and very good basketball conference, even better at baseball this year. Some would say a number of teams right up there. So uh, the game against Miami was something the team's going to need to get used to playing against tough competition like that. Lost Friday's game by one run and then looked like another loss Saturday night was inevitable. Trailed 5-1, bottom of the ninth, two outs, nobody on. Got a huge rally, I believe, four hits and four walks and four runs scored off of all that uh, to tie it, send it to extra innings. Had a chance in the 10th inning, didn't capitalize. Game went to an 11th inning, and the pack loaded the bases in a sack fly by the catcher Chris Schaefer. Scored, drove home the winning run, and pack took that win in exciting fashion, one of the more thrilling victories for the baseball team in recent memory. Then Sunday afternoon, they struggled. Miami's one of their best pitchers. They're a great pitching team. One of their best pitchers, Erickson, was on the mound. Really gave State a hard time getting anything going offensively. They lost that game four to nothing. But Avent was encouraged after the game. Baseball coach Elliot Avent was encouraged after the game, the way his team fought, especially to make Friday night interesting. And then obviously the comeback Sunday was huge for his team. And baseball's next action will be Wednesday at six thirty versus Old Dominion. And then they will welcome another real strong opponent to town this coming weekend. Virginia is ranked in the top two or three in the country and State will host them for a three-day series this weekend. So uh, baseball team's definitely got its work cut out for it. Okay, awesome. And uh, kind of switching gears, tell us about the NCAA. I mean, the pack is out, but a lot of people are still interested in the Final Four. Yep. Uh, Saturday night will be the uh, we'll decide who goes on to play in the national championship game next Monday night. Um, ACC, local folks around here, Duke is still alive. They will take on West Virginia. A lot of people are pinpointing that game as the uh, kind of a de facto national championship as those are the two best teams in the Final Four in a lot of people's minds. On the other side of the bracket, it will be a pair of five seeds, which is real unusual to see two seeds that low in the Final Four. Michigan State and Purdue. Um, Michigan State's come back through some injuries to beat Tennessee this past weekend, and Purdue is the Cinderella story this season, um, a five-seed, so certainly not like a 10-seed making it, but from uh, somewhat of a mid-major conference, I don't believe they've lost since December, so they are red hot. And Michigan State has, believe they've set a record for um, smallest combined margin of victories to get to the Final Four. I believe they've won their first four games of the tournament by a total of 13 points, so they've been squeaking them out. They've been fun to watch. They should, them and Purdue should be a good game, and then Duke and West Virginia will be the marquee matchup, I believe, uh, 
Purdue and Michigan State tip off at about 6. Duke and West Virginia will play the late game at 8 or so. I don't have that exactly right, but around 8. And then the national championship game will pit the winners of those two games against each other Monday. Um, it'd be great to see Duke win from an ACC standpoint to make the ACC look good. I'll pull for anybody from the ACC as long as it's not Carolina. So as much as Duke certainly isn't my team, it's good to see somebody from around here and somebody from the ACC getting back. And Duke's had some good years recently, but their tournament success what fell a little short relative to how they've been doing in years. I believe this is their first Final Four since 2003, so Devil fans, definitely happy to see that. And, and anytime you get a team from the ACC, I don't like to admit it, even getting Carolina in there is good, but it's great to have somebody like Duke in there just to represent the conference. So hope so. best of luck to the Blue Devils. Okay. And I know it's a little bit early, but uh, are you looking forward to next football season yet? Wolfpack is undefeated, and breaking news, they have not lost a game yet in 2010, so that's the that's at least one positive. Um, a promising. It's always a promising time of year for football. Like I said, no losses yet, um, not really any injuries yet, some lingering things from last year, guys trying to come back. R.J. Mattis played well for the majority of the season last year before a knee injury sent him out, a freshman guard that was really playing well, and everybody knows about Nate Irving was ready to have – Many felt he was poised for an all-star type season last year, and everybody knows about the uh, terrible injury he suffered last summer and never got to play last year. But he'll be back, and reports are that he's coming along well. He certainly isn't full speed yet, but all indications are that he will be by August, and fans can't wait to see 56 out on the field flying around, maybe intercepting some passes and making those uh, the crowd-pleasing hits that were a staple of the last time he was on the field. That was something a lot of people looked to was – was his efforts and one question mark a lot of folks have is is about Russell Wilson and this sounds awful but a lot of folks have wondered what would happen if his if he plays baseball the way some expected him to when he got here and for his football sake he or uh, for the benefit of his football sake maybe in some minds he has not played as well on the diamond um, and barring him having an explosion the rest of the way he's not looking like a tremendous enough pro prospect to leave Tom O'Brien. I don't remember the exact quote, but Tom O'Brien feels very confident that Russell will be the Pac's quarterback come August. I believe he said he would be shocked, maybe. Might not have that wording exactly right, but he certainly expects Russell to be back, and we all know what he's accomplished over the past couple of years. And State lost Tony Baker and some other guys, but certainly no shortage of talent on the offensive end. Jarvis Williams led the conference in receiving touchdowns. George Bryan, the tight end, was a first-team All-ACC guy. Owen Spencer was a was a tremendous deep threat, so not only what does it look as though Russell will be back, it looks like he'll have no shortage of targets to throw to. And uh, just one thing to look out for, it'll be interesting this spring to see how those players in the secondary come along. They had a rough season last fall, and a lot of it was youth and inexperience and some trouble with alignment type things. So hopefully if they get that corrected this spring, they can just let their athleticism take over in the fall and they can um, take some strides to uh, shore up the pass coverage and also run coverage as it's uh, it's a team effort to stop both the passing and the run. All right. Thanks, Tyler. Next up, we'll have our editorial segment on Eye on the Triangle. This is John Boyer filling in for Evan Garris' editorial segment tonight. I've got some size 14 shoes to fill, so let's start with the disclaimer. 
The views in this editorial do not necessarily reflect the views of WKNC, Student Media, or NCSU. As a meteorology major and aspiring broadcaster, it's not surprising that I spent hours watching and tweeting about the tornado coverage yesterday. When severe weather threatens here in North Carolina, local TV stations jump to cover it. It rarely matters when this coverage interrupts the 700 Club or All My Children. Sure, the TV stations field a few angry calls, but nothing like the tsunami of hatred directed at local CBS affiliates yesterday evening. As damage reports rolled in, Charlotte station WBTV and Greensboro station WFMY were stuck with the unenviable position of balancing the heavily viewed and hotly contested Duke-Baylor Elite Eight game of the NCAA tournament with the dissemination of crucial information. After initially running a scroll of information, the magnitude of the event warranted breaking into programming and shifting the game to digital cheer digital tier channels at the time the rest is history of course duke won but that was little consolation to the thousands of fans that felt slighted by the disruption in an odd sense it should comfort a broadcaster to have literally half of the state watching your station when a major tornado threatens what a reach a great number of viewers means that more of them will be aware of the situation but the die-hard sports worshipers and all-round curmudgeons populating the piedmont were having none of it twitter quickly echoed with whining and moaning about the disruption Blog posts, and an odious one in particular from GreensboroSports.com, voiced frustration with comical levels of myopic selfishness as hundreds of their neighbors started the rebuilding process. Let's not forget that the FCC requires TV stations and radio stations like WKNC2 to relay weather warnings via the emergency alert system in order to keep their broadcast license. I won't pretend that some stations don't overpromote their zeal to keep viewers safe. Weather is the number one people number one reason people watch local news in the first place and the competition is cutthroat but that's no excuse to roll the coverage back because you never know when hundreds of lives are in danger like yesterday these vocal basketball buffoons do not occupy the same reality that existed when the sun rose on damaged homes and businesses this morning we're lucky no one died and part of that reason was surely due to the excellent coverage provided by many media outlets in central north carolina i ask these folks How many people would have had to die in yesterday's EF3 tornado in High Point to be a justifiable interruption of your bouncing orange sphere? I'm proud to say that it wasn't state fans behind this ruckus, but I'm sure that the day has come and will come again when we're on the giving end of the complaints. I come from Virginia and wasn't born into this silly tangle of basketball rivalries. I used to think I didn't understand it, but now I'm getting a picture of fanaticism taken to its extreme, loyalty at the expense of life and limb. It makes sense that fight songs should include lines like, I'm a Tar Heel born, I'm a Tar Heel bred, and when I die, I'll be Tar Heel dead. When North Carolina leads the nation in its percentage of nighttime tornado deaths, I'd rather not go down that road. Let's keep sports in their proper perspective. It's not like Duke hasn't won enough tournaments already. If you have a response to this editorial or any part of tonight's show, contact us on Twitter at WKNCEOT. Look for us on Facebook at Eye on the Triangle or shoot an email to publicaffairs at WKNC.org. Have a safe evening, everyone. The views in this editorial do not necessarily reflect the views of WKNC, student media, or NCSU. listening to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC 88.1. Next up, we're going to take a short break, and when we get back, we're going to go into our VIP segment, so stay tuned. You're listening to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC 88.1.
You're listening to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC 88.1. I'm Seja Hindi. Before we go into our VIP segment, um, to kind of give you a little bit of background, last week we WKNC and Student Media hosted a student body president debate, and we're going to play a few short clips of that for you. You can also find the whole thing online at wknc.org slash blog. Um, the voting is on Tuesday, April 6th. You go to vote.ncsu.edu. We will go ahead and play some of the questions that we asked the candidates right now. We're about to switch back live to the Tally Student ball runner, Ballroom to bring you the presidential debate. Uh, currently about to engage. The president portion of the student media debate. Uh, thank you to all six candidates for coming out. I know you guys had Agri Life. It's a grueling campaign schedule, but we do appreciate taking the time uh, for us to hear a little bit about your campaigns. Uh, once again, my, I'm Mike Alston, General Manager to WKNC. This is Seja Hindi, former Editor-in-Chief of Technician and current Public Affairs Director at WKNC. So we'll go ahead and dive right into the first question. Uh, if you would, please introduce yourself and define for us the responsibilities of student body president as you see and understand them. All right. Well, um, thank you for, being, for everyone being here. Uh, my name is Scott Goldsmith. And what I view as the chief responsibilities of the student body president would certainly be accountability, transparency, and accessibility. Hi, everybody. My name is Matt Gromlich. Uh, I agree with Scott on those points. I also think that the student body president is supposed to be the voice of the students, so to have one-on-one -on -one contact with the students that they're representing. Hello, everyone. My name is Kelly Hook. And the student body president does a lot of things, but in all actuality, their biggest job is to manage their team of about 12 people who really do all the work. They have 12 commission heads that head up each of the commissions, and they're the, they're the doers. And the student body president is their manager and the one that needs to be out amongst the students advocating for, for making sure everything remains student-focused. And, yeah. Hello, I'm Zach Lego. Um, student body president to me is putting the students first through unity and transparency um, by allowing all the students to know everything that's going on in, in their campaign and in their, elect, in their elected office. I'm Chess McDowell. Um, the, there's only one job for the student body president. It's very simple. It's to represent the students. It doesn't matter what I want to do. It doesn't matter what my cabinet wants to do. It doesn't matter what my friends want to do. It's what, this, what the students want. It's the student body president, not the administration's president, not the board of trustees president, the student body president. Good evening. My name is Matt Woodward. Um, to build off Chez and Matt's points, I, I really think the, the chief function is to be an advocate for students. I think we all kind of keep e echoing that. But not just advocating for students, but one who leads with integrity. One who says, these are my core values, and this is what I'm going to stick to. Because I think that's really important, that we know you, what you say is what you do. So an advocate with integrity. Do we have any additional comments or rebuttals? If so, just fire away. Hearing none, next question. Okay, so the student body president has to successfully navigate the bureaucracy of NC State, specifically working across departments. Um, relationships with administrators are key, so we're going to see if you've done your homework. If we could start with Matt, please name the person who holds the following position. Dean of Undergraduate Academic Affairs. Dr. Ambrose. That's right. Um, Chess, Facilities Director. Uh, Jim Sturesnick. 
<laughs> Actually, Jack Colby is the facilities director. Um, okay, Zach, director of university dining. I'm not sure. Okay. Um, it is actually Randy Late. Kelly, captain of campus police. Steve Carlton. John Barnwell. Um, Matt, director of university housing. Which man? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Susan Grant, Director of Greek Life. I'm unaware. John Mounts. All right, that was fun, wasn't it? <laughs> Good job. Hey, going right. Yeah. Okay. So. so <laughs> We'll go back uh, to the second from left, take this question first. Uh, please provide us with one specific decision or action taken by the current student body president, Jim Sresnick, that you disagree with and would have done something differently. I think that one thing that could have been handled a little better was informing students about the tally referendum, uh, while the student body president and the student center board of directors did do a decent job getting the information out there, I could, I think there could have been more time allotted for that to happen. I've been Jim's chief of staff all year, and he's done an excellent job. But I would have to say tally as well. Um, we did not go about that in the right way. I'm definitely for a new Tally Student Center, but we should never go against a referendum that we put out to the students. I think uh, Jim has done a really good job this year as well, but I'd have to agree with uh, Kelly and Matt, probably Tally and just like more transparency and understand exactly what you're getting when you voted or um, and what the renovation was gonna be and that, that kind of thing. Uh, I'm going to throw an oddball out there, um, probably Tally. I think uh, I think Jim's done a great job, but the biggest thing is voting against the students. And if, if student government was going to go ahead and go through with it, it never should have been on the ballot. Um, that's the biggest thing. But there's still a lot of things about Tally that somebody very involved in the process won't know. Um, but from here on out, uh, the student vice president needs to make sure that the promises that were made during Tally are kept and um, we're not going to lose space, we're not going to increase funding or increase spending, um, we're going to go in the right direction with it. Yeah, um, to kind of go away from Tally, because we're all going to keep saying the same things, I think on a lot of viewpoints, is I think one of the things that we could have, or student government could have done a little better is market themselves. I know a lot of students that I've spoken to, you know, don't know the three largest uh, student groups on campus, and that's a problem. You know, that's a major problem because these are student groups that are advocating and putting on programs for our campus. So I think that's something we should really be looking at is how we're marketing um, to students what, what kind of services we can offer and really bridge those gaps. While I do um, acknowledge that Tally was definitely a major factor 
um, I would have to disagree with the rest of uh, my fellow candidates and say it was probably the Mary Easley incident that I would have handled differently. I feel we didn't come together with a unified message as students. I felt um, that we were all kind of confused at that incident and kind of waited for a new chancellor to come in to kind of set us on our ways. So I would have tried to unify students behind one message on that issue. Does anyone have any comments or rebuttals? Chess? Um, I'm going to completely agree with you, Scott. Um, Mary Easley was definitely a big deal um, and the whole chancellor situation. You know, going forward with that and going forward with replacing the administration and our state leaders, uh, I would have felt a lot more confident in our university if we'd have come full force the student's voice, the student's message about we're not going to, you know, we're not going to have people like Mary Easley. We're not going to have people like Chancellor Erblinger making sure that, you know, she's got a comfortable job. Anyone else? Okay. What is more important, your assessment or the students? How will you determine where to stand on an issue? I know that's something that some of you have uh, mentioned, so can you elaborate a little bit on that? Well, the student assessment is always the most important, but we are students ourselves. All the student body president candidates are students, and it's the most important thing that we actually go out and figure out what students are concerned about and we should never even have a question of which assessment is best because we should always know how everyone feels and we'll probably feel the same way I mean students aren't out to to make decisions that would hurt any of us and it's just a matter of going out and making sure we figure out where students are concerned and and how we can address that to best accommodate everyone Um, I would have to agree with the uh, students. Uh, one thing that I would be looking to do is to put bullet, bulletin boards and boxes throughout the campus where students can put their input um, and so I could read them and address them at the student council meetings. Um, I think that the, it's way more about the students than it is about like, my opinion. If the students are for one opinion, then I'm going to be for that opinion as well. Uh, I'm a Jeffersonian, so I'm a bit of a populist, but, um, you know, I always agree with the students. They're the ones who, who put you in your position, um, and it it's always comes down to, you know, it might not always be the best decision in our eyes, but somebody thinks it is, you know, especially Tally. Um, you know, the administration thought it was the best idea, student government thought it was the best idea, but the students didn't. And, um, you know, the main job of the student body president needs to wait for that decision before we, we push an agenda or push an idea. We need to wait to hear from the students. Um, I completely agree. To steal the motto from our student affairs division, we need to be students first. And that's really important, especially in the research and assessment that we're doing. We're not collecting data that really engages students all the time, and not just when we need it on one specific boat, but it's a continual process that students are engaged in. I really think that's what's going to really affect a lot of policy in the future, or should affect a lot of policy in the future. I'm really pleased to be able to answer this question. Um, it was one of the central points in my campaign, and I actually addressed this issue in two different platforms of mine on my website. Um, the first is a weekly meet and greet with the student body president, and I would encourage the um, whoever becomes senator or Senate president-elect to join me in those weekly meet and greets in the Brickyard, um, handing out coffee and discussing issues that really matter to students. And the second way I've addressed this issue in my platform is by establishing an online polling system 
um, possibly on the technician's website, possibly on the student government's website, where we can let people know what we're doing and see which issues they would vote for that they feel are most pertinent to them. I think that it's really important to understand the views of the students of the university to have a diverse cabinet and diversity can include major and year as well, not just what we consider diversity from an outward perspective. And like Scott, uh, I part of my platform is a dinner with the executive cabinet where every Tuesday at Fountain Dining Hall from 7 to 8, my cabinet and I would be there willing to answer any questions that anybody may have, get feedback on any issues, and kind of take the pulse of the student body every single week. So. Do we have additional comments or rebuttals? Yeah, I want to say one thing. Meet and greets and dinners with the presidents are not going to be effective, honestly. And it's a great idea, it really is. And, and to some extent, we should certainly do that. But students aren't going to, you have to have a huge advertising pain, campaign to let students know where you're going to be, that costs money, etc. We need to pursue alternative ways to address students. And I think classrooms are a huge way to do it. Get in front of the classrooms, figure out the big rooms, spread a, a viral campaign to figure out the best way to address students. Um, that, was, no. that was 30 seconds. Sorry. I know it's quick. <laughs> Any other ones? Um, I'd like to add one bit. Um, while I do acknowledge classrooms are great places, we cannot reach a university the size of NC State solely through classrooms. So I feel the brickyard where students really are would be key. And we don't need a large advertising campaign. We have the technician to do that for us. Uh, with uh, students moving to Centennial, do any of you have any thoughts on how to get them over there? Like if you're going to be in the brickyard the entire time, are you going to hit the students from Centennial? Well, I think, the, I think the biggest thing is the student body president is a student. And, you know, we'll understand a, a certain bit of the pulse of the university. Um, the technician, um, you know, the, the technician will be there for... Uh, for polling and to help us help us get things moved along, but you know, definitely a polling a polling system on the student government website brings people there, gets them more involved and more informed. Uh, as with the Centennial question, uh, currently there are no residence halls on Centennial campus. Hopefully, that'll change. That'd be awesome. But right now, I think that there are enough students who actually go to main campus at least two or three days a week to make a brickyard meeting effective. Might All right. Speak again. Next. What's that? Never no, unfortunately, uh, our format does not allow it. We'll figure out some way to allow closing comments at the end. No room for rhetorical questions. Uh, next question. Uh, it seems there is a rebranding campaign almost every year, including last year when Jim Sresnick was essentially running uh, with Jay Dawkins' approval. There was still a rebranding campaign. Uh, does student government need rebranding with a new administration this year? And if so, how? I think that's you, Zach, yeah. Um, I would say that we need a fresh start. Uh, I, I, like I said, I liked Jim and I really liked Jay, but uh, they have had the chance for two years now, and um, I'd like to see a new person that has new ideas and new things, at least make a cabinet, but ultimately be the student body president? Well, I think um, 
you know, change comes along every time we have a presidential election. Um, every campaign for the past 150 years has used the word change or reform or something different. And it does need to be refreshed and it does need to be renewed so we don't lose the student interest and so we don't forget what the students um, are after. Um, that rebranding is kind of the marketplace of ideas and it weeds out um, the best candidate to, uh, to, to support the students. Mike I, th Mike, I think your question asked if we do a rebranding with the administration, and I actually think we need to do a rebranding with the students, because a lot of students feel a disconnect with their student body officers, and that needs to be investigated. We need to be asking students why that is and how we can reach them and how we can target them. Um, I think, you know, it's a combination of Kelly's, you know, the viral message and some others, you know, that's that small meet and greets. And I think that's really the both. It's the collaboration that really makes it effective. The students really do recognize the small things. The availability to eat lunch or dinner with a student body president, yet the mass marketing methods to make sure that they're getting information out. It's really that collaboration that will really help a rebranding campaign for students. I don't believe we would need another rebranding campaign, especially after having two, the previous two years. Um, it's my goal and ideal that if student government is functioning as it should, that we will be able to meet with students one-on-one -on, -one on those basis, and that will be our rebranding by doing our job. Right now I know that uh, the Joint Government Operations Committee between Senate and the Executive Branch is kind of doing a little bit of rebranding themselves. They're buying uh, tents to set up with the student government logo, so I don't think we need to rebrand maybe just advertise our logo a little bit more. The purpose of student government isn't to take credit for their job. It's to run behind the scenes, work truly and honestly for the students. Um, I've been in the administration long enough to sort of transcend the need for credibility. Student government doesn't need to slap their logo on everything that we do. And we put the money in it this year, and there's certainly no need to add more funding to the rebranding campaign. Um, we need to get out there, viral campaign again, but if we don't get a, a credit for doing something great for the students, then great. You know, that's not what we're about. We're about helping people, and, and student government really can help people, and if we don't get the credit for it, that's perfectly fine. Comments or rebuttals? Kelly, I, I kind of I agree with you that it's important to be humble to a degree. But I think, you know, I've, I've gone to a lot of different student groups over the past week, and when I ask them, you know, what do you think student government does, or who's in student government, and when I have, you know, chapter members of different sororities, or people that you would generally think are fairly involved, not know the answer, that's a problem. So I think it's, I think we have to find a solution where we're still being humble, but we are marketing ourselves as an organization. Well, I agree with you, Matt, but the student body president only has a year to be the student body president, and if we spend our time and energy talking about what student government is, as much as it's important for people to know what student government is, we devalue the projects that we work on. The student body president needs to focus on truly accomplishing the projects that they promise that they will, and you can't, you can't do that if you're spending your whole time talking about what your organization is. Once again, that was the WKNCN student media student officials debate last Thursday. You can find out more about these candidates and others on wknc.org slash blog. And now we'll move on to our community canvas segment on Eye on the Triangle.
Community Canvas on Eye on the Triangle. Your local arts news. At exactly 1.32 p.m. on March 20th, local artist Lillian Jones released a map that sent treasure hunters all over the city of Raleigh in search for a silver key. Once the silver key was found, the finder would receive a beautiful handmade pendant made by Miss Jones herself. Occurring every spring and fall equinox, Miss Jones has created these puzzles for more than a year and has had three separate hunts. I spoke to Miss Jones about her unique event, as well as Gloria and Henry Rich, the winners of this year's treasure hunt. I'm Lillian Jones, and I'm a Raleigh artist and jeweler. And years ago, there was a very famous treasure hunt in England in the 80s by an artist by the name of Kit Williams. And I'd always admired the beautiful illustrations that he did. In this case, he buried an 18-karat gold rabbit. And then he did a children's book called Masquerade. And Masquerade was this wonderful treasure hunt craze that went on for several years in England and spawned all kinds of, you know, insanity and conspiracy theories before they finally found it. So with that as a model, I thought I would think up a tricky puzzle and present it to the public in illustration form. And I would use my jewelry as bait so that they would play. So tell me a little bit, um, like the basics of this. You, you call it a scavenger, or it's not a scavenger hunt, it's a treasure hunt. Um, can you kind of go through what finding this piece of jewelry that you've hidden or this key that you've hidden is? Can you kind of go through the process a little bit? You get a colorful illustration. You look at the illustration. Initially, you're probably fairly baffled by what you're looking at. Can you kind of talk about it? Because you've brought one in. Um, you've brought an illustration in. It's, it's a big, it's almost a poster. It is a poster. Yeah, yeah. I, I like posters. And it also comes in a smaller sort of uh, book, like tarot card size form. I, you don't have to ask them about the process of it. You know, my job is finished at that moment. And I just sit back and wait to see, hopefully, no one gets in too terrible a fix. Like the fellow who got himself locked in the graveyard for being there too late or, you know, or that they or they get kicked off of some. There's always unintended consequences when you involve the public because they're going to start putting things together. And two and two, which equaled four in your mind, is really going to equal 16. And they're going to. So you get the poster. And then the first thing you do with the poster is you use it as a clue for the, the poster next- is a clue. Yeah, it's the illustration is the treasure map. And if you can interpret what you're seeing on the illustration, then it will tell you where you need to go. It's not necessarily a linear you know, it may be like playing baseball where you go to first, second, third base and it may not be like that at all. It may take you in several different directions at once where you have to then add the clues together to get where you want to go. It's not necessarily a linear progression. Right. And just looking at the poster right now, there's a picture of a woman on a horse and a bird and some letters. And so I have to interpret that and then go to my first stop on this treasure hunt. Um, what, what goes into making this scavenger hunt? I'm sure there's a lot of preparation. It's like your mind is the magic eight ball and you just put a lot of information in it and shake it and whatever 
comes to the top is what I use. So I, I guess I, I know that there's some place that I like and you go there and you go to see if it feels right for, for, this in, for this event. Say, for instance, a fall one might be different than a spring one in terms of what it is that you feel. And once you establish the places that you think you'd like to send people, then you try to figure out how to get them there and not have them all there at one time so that they're fighting for something. You know, you've got to sort of make it difficult enough so that it's, it's staggered. Or you might send them several places at once. You know. What have you done this time that you haven't done in past times? Uh, what have you learned from um, each one that you take to the next one? Well, thank you so much for coming to talk to us today. Okay. Hey, thank you for having me. I'm Gloria Rich. This is my lovely husband, Henry. Hello. And uh, they have completed the Raleigh treasure hunt in record time. That's right, Chris. It was 18 hours. I think the last person did it in three months. That is correct. And apparently the first, the first solstice treasure hunt was 26 hours. So you have completed it faster than anyone has before have you done treasure hunts before we've never done a treasure hunt but we have done scavenger hunts which are also quite a bit of fun now you have seemingly there's a rich history of scavenger hunts in your in your background can you tell us a little about how you found out about the one um the raleigh treasure hunt for the solstice we did see it in the newspaper, and we showed up at the appropriate time to pick up this beautiful map. I was blown away when I saw this map that Lillian did. It's like a piece of art. In fact, I'm going to hang it in my house. Would you like to describe it a little bit? Looking at it, it's got this bird down at the bottom with his wings are spread wide. And on each wing, in Roman numerals, it's written the number 18. And then... Uh, up hidden in this little arch above the bird, um, you could barely make out the wor- words in their Latin words. And I'll let my husband tell you about that because he's the Latin scholar in our family. As you found more clues in talking with Lillian, she kind of said that the reason she made the clues the way they were was to kind of take people on a journey through Raleigh um, to show them some of her favorite places to go. Did you feel that the things you encountered while trying to solve the puzzle um, were things that were interesting to you? Had you seen them before? I know it's mostly um, geared towards the inside the Beltline area. It is inside the Beltline, and it was amazing to me that uh, Gloria just seemed to channel the spirit of Lillian somehow. When the clues came up, I would have an idea for what the clue might be, and she would say, no, no, the, the person person who drew this picture it's not the sort of person who would think that way what you want is uh you want a, a, a nice store so we think about the nice stores and it, and so gloria was all the time looking in exactly the right area where the clues happened to be I, I i agree with henry that it does take you through many parts of raleigh and in fact there's some of my favorite parts of raleigh and places that I have also visited before I even uh, looked at this puzzle. And the interesting thing after listening to Henry is that Henry's a thinker. 
and he would spend a lot of time thinking about the clue and kind of get me in the right direction, but then he would overthink it. It was just something that you had to just sit back and kind of feel. (laughs) Um, Gloria, do you feel that you challenged Lillian's artistic spirit to come up with the best solution for each clue? Well, I would say that uh, Lillian has a wide range of interests, and it just so happens that between the two of us, we share them. Like there's a there's a little bit in Latin, and I happen to teach Latin, so that was easy. There's some mathematics involved, and I'm a mathematical person. That worked out. Uh, and then there are the, the, ele- the more artistic elements, uh, which Gloria was able to uh, connect with. So somehow, between the two of us, we had a, an excellent match for... Lillian's interest. I talked to Lillian a little bit about like the the actual like secret of the whole event, and uh, she told me about how her friends would try and get her liquored up and try and get <laughs> try and get uh, information out of her. And she she was um, it was difficult for her um, to 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 do this without um, revealing things. You know, have you talked to about the treasure hunt with others? Have you guys? found other people that had done the treasure hunt as well? We did a lot of gloating after we found the treasure, but we couldn't find anybody else who had engaged in the hunt, which I think is a shame. This deserves greater publicity, and I'm glad you're doing it. Because this is really a fun experience uh, to do it. We reached one point in the event where we were the first person to get to the place to get the next clue, and that was quite a thrill to know that, you know, for that little moment at least, we were in the lead. But you never know if somebody else is going to see something you didn't. Uh, and I, I think with more people involved, it would be more fun for everybody. I would love to be able to share what we did with others. Now, apparently, um, the, first, the first competition was too easy, she thought. And the second one was a little too hard. And now she says she felt like this one was a little too easy. I, I think she's wrong there. I think Henry and I are just incredible sleuthers. We can figure anything out. So, Lillian, you don't need to make the next one any harder. I think that we were very lucky in that we, she put out clues and we happened to see them. But if we hadn't, we'd still be there looking. So uh, I don't know that it was too easy this time. Well, thank you guys so much for coming in to talk to me today about the treasure hunt. Congratulations. Thank you. Thanks. Wolfpacker of the Week on Eye on the Triangle. A spotlight on those who go above and beyond. NC State is home to almost 50 club sports. One of those clubs has had a difficult time getting over the curb and into the fun box of legitimization that the other club sports like rugby and ultimate frisbee enjoy. That club is NC Skate, a group dedicated to bringing competitive skateboarding to NC State in addition to fostering enthusiasm for the sport here at NCSU. Eye on the Triangle's Wolfpack of the Week, Matt Brokaw, is one of the club's founders. My name is uh, Matt Brokaw. I'm a sophomore here at NC State. I'm a construction engineering and management major. And I am co-president 
of uh, a club, NC Skate, which was uh, just started last year. I take co-presidency with uh, Drew St. Clair. The club has recently moved from a hobbyist, enthusiast-type group to more of a sports-focused club. Can you talk about that change? It started off just a uh, just a club organization um, and not really competitive at all, just um, to organize skateboarding um, on campus, um, make it more accepted, and just be able to skate and we did you know a few things last year but um this over the summer um we actually officially became a club sport just like club rugby or any of the other club sports that they have and um we've uh, been organizing some uh, competitive matches we had um one a couple weeks ago with ECU and Wake Tech and um some students from App came down some skaters that we got in contact with and they came down and we had a uh, contest on uh it was just a Saturday. It was a nice event. We had music, contests, prizes, and um, yeah, hopefully we want to get like more schools in the area involved and make it like a big competitive league. What is your own history with skating? How long um, have you... What is your own history with skateboarding, for example? How long have you been skating? Um, I've been skating probably about seven, eight years. It's been so long. I've been doing it as, so- as soon as I started, got my first skateboard when I was uh, like... 11 or 12 I've just been you know I've fell in love with it and been doing it ever since and it's like yeah one one of the main things in my life right now so for your own recreation what type of tricks or style of skating do you prefer um I I like skating uh recently I've been uh getting into a lot of like uh flat bar tricks we have um we used to uh always skate flat ground at uh the free expression plaza but now we've gotten um some uh rails that we use out there so I've been uh Doing, learning some, uh, you know, back backside lip slides and different kinds of uh, grinds. Been trying to do uh, different tail slide variations, like um, learning like you know flip tricks into grinds and then flip tricks out and stuff. So it's uh, it's definitely uh, it's always progressing. I mean, there's always new stuff you could learn, and there's so many different tricks and styles that like it never stop. If students were interested in joining NC Skate, what skill level would you recommend they have? In the club, your skill level does not really matter at all. We have people in the club that um, don't even really um, skate that much. They're just interested in the skateboarding, and they help out um, in all kinds of areas of the club because, you know, we, we have, you know, have need people to take care of finances and, you know, publicity and all kinds of that stuff. But um, the, the, the skill levels range a whole lot. We actually have a, a professional skateboarder in the club. His name is uh, Sean Burke. He, he's a... Uh, pretty he's probably like the highest skill level at least at what he does he skates flat ground and you know he does like handstand tricks and all kinds of that stuff and then uh it ranges down to you know um people that are just beginning um just learning how to skate and then but it, it's great because we all feed off each other in the club and we do have um long borders and stuff in the club who just like to cruise they're looking at um starting a few events of their own you know like downhill races and such do you have any events coming up um we meet every two weeks on Wednesday in uh, Riddick Hall, room uh, 339, Wednesday night about about 8. Your next club meeting will be April the 7th, but is your group hosting any more events on campus in the spring semester? Yeah, we, we actually have a, another event coming up. It's called the Game of State. It's on uh, April 10th, uh, Saturday. Basically, if you ever played horse and basketball, it's the uh, same thing. Somebody sets a shot, and then the next person has to match it. Well, we do the same thing in skateboarding. Somebody does a trick, and the next person has to match that. And if you mess up on that trick, you get a letter, like S, and then you go through. Um, we figured we'd call it, instead of a game of skate, we call it a game of state, big at NC State. And um, what it is is basically we, we host the event. 
people, us in the club. Um, and uh, uh, we went around to all the uh, skate shops and basically um, put out flyers and waivers. And et- so it's for basically all the all the skateboarders in the Raleigh uh, community. So, um, the event is at the Free Expression Plaza, um, right outside the Free Expression Tunnel or the bookstore. Um, yeah, the, yeah. Hopefully, this event, April tenth, coming up, uh, will be even bigger than the uh, the last one we had. Um, we're hoping for a, a huge turnout. Um, it's a great event. You can come out if you want to skate and enter, or if you just want to come out and watch and uh, see what it's all about and watch some you know nice skating and listen to some music and hang out with some cool people. Do you feel like the club has had a positive impact on the attitude about skateboarding here at NC State? Um, yes, a, a lot. A lot has. Um, that we, especially that we've been doing events and um, we have uh, filmers and photographers who um, document it. And um, we've shown the club sports uh, director and uh, Mary Emma, and she's been uh, very excited about what we're doing. She's um, definitely helping us out, try to, you know, really um, just improve the... Uh, the view that people have on a skateboard on campus. I know it's um, it's 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 hard though because um, other you know students from uh, that go to high school or middle school will come like after they get out of school and come skate here and they'll you know grind the, all the ledges and kind of destroy some stuff and that really creates a bad name for us because there's you know a lot of times there's no way of distinguishing you know who's here at state in the club and who's you know just a kid coming here to skate and so. That's kind of given us, you know, a hard time, you know, trying to change people's views. Um, I know last year we pushed a lot for um, changing uh, the transportation laws. And uh, just um, we talked to um, the campus police a lot about just being a little more lenient with uh, letting us skate. Because, um, you know, like now as a club sport, you know, um, uh, rugby and like, you know, tennis and basketball, they all, all have courts and areas that they could, you know, practice on. And um Basically, we're just we're just looking for an area that we can skate. Like we don't, we're not looking to destroy anything. We just want an area where we could practice and skate. Um, so we've been trying to change people's views to like you know be able to let us do that. Um, but there's been you know a little bit of problem like campus police. Um, I think uh, we ran into a cop the other day who said that they're looking at changing the uh, the transportation laws to where skateboards are only going to be allowed to be used. Um, as you know modes of transportation we're not gonna be able to trick skate at all and uh we were talking to them about how you know like last year we met with the campus police and they said they were you know they would be able to you know like help us out and like make it you know a little more lenient so we could trick skate and now they're looking at changing it back so i mean we're still still in the process of uh you know trying to just make a more positive you know impact in like you know the skateboarding world at nc state but it's it's taken a lot of work, so hopefully we'll get there soon. Though. You've been listening to Island Triangle's Wolfpacker of the Week this week with Matt Brokaw, another Wolfpacker dedicated to improving their passions so that others may also enjoy them. And that wraps up another episode of Island Triangle on WKNC 88.1. Make sure to check out the blog at wknc.org slash blog for more on this show and others. And shoot us an email at publicaffairs at wknc.org if you have suggestions or people who you want to nominate for Wolfpacker of the Week.